Well, here we are, fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, Christmas Sunday, we sometimes call it. It's, uh, yeah, we're, we're there. It's, it's, uh, it's just a strange year. There's even this whole notion of uh, registering for the Christmas Eve services, and some of them are already booked up, and this is, this is heartbreaking as a church. We've always been like, hey, let's just pack this place. We'll stack people where we need to stack them, you know, as long as we don't violate the fire code. We put people everywhere, and... Um, it's a little different, but, you know, praise God, we, um, he's unchanging, and, and he is good, and what we celebrate is, is, um, is good. And this, actually, this text really is a great Christmas task, text. It may not seem Christmassy on the outset here, but I really, it's just oozing Christmas, and it's pointing us to Jesus in a lot of ways. So I want to look at three parts of this, uh, the story of Ruth and of Naomi and, and how they really point us to, to Christmas and point us to Jesus. Uh, this whole series, we're calling the Mothers of Jesus. We're, we're looking at the, the five women who, uh, the four Old Testament women and, and Mary, who are mentioned in the genealogy of Matthew. So Ma- Matthew writing his account of Jesus' life and ministry. He, he doesn't say the life of Jesus begins, you know, Mary was pregnant or Jesus born in a manger. He says... It all starts with Abraham, who gave birth to Isaac, who had Jacob, Jacob had Judah, and so on and so forth. And so he said, look, when we think about Jesus, we remember that it started way back to promises that God made uh, to a man named Abraham and his descendants. And so uh, the, the, the four women really do stand out in this genealogy because they're mentioned at all and that they have really unique stories. And uh, today is Ruth. And like I said, this is really pointing us to Jesus. And, uh, but the other question, or the question you would ask is, well, why is this an important message? Do we need uh, the story of Ruth today? And I would say, yes, absolutely. You, we need this story because as people of faith, we know that it's hard to sustain faith consistently over a long period of time to just always have this amazing, you know, unwavering faith. And because our faith does waver, particularly in times that are hard or challenging or, uh, or trials that drag on, desperate, hopeless kind of moments, especially. But for any of us on any given day, our faith can waver. And we see this uh, in this account that it's a reminder to us that we need each other and we need to know that God is at work even in the midst of those times, even when our faith wavers, that God is accomplishing his good purposes. Ruth, uh, this woman, Naomi, who we'll meet, uh, she needed Ruth to companion with her, to help sustain her. And um, they both needed this man named Boaz to, to help pull, lift them out of a hopeless situation. And, and they needed to have their faith in God, that he was indeed at work. And for us, it's a great reminder that we need to remember God's at work, and we need each other to, to lift each other out of those places. Uh, so this is a good message for all of us. Let's pray as we approach God's word. Father, you're good, and our hearts uh, are, I hope, ready to celebrate, Lord. Whatever the condition of our hearts, you are the king of our hearts, and we pray that you would do your work on our hearts. Even in this time, uh, your good and living and active word would, would do its work by the power of your spirit. We pray that you would teach us. And Father, help us to be obedient to whatever you show us. 
We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. All right, three parts of this story of Ruth. I would love to preach through Ruth I, as, as we were preparing this. thought, you know, let's do six weeks and really unpack this. If you're not familiar with this story or if it's been a while, just read it right through it. It's just an amazing uh, account. But um, it, part one, the story starts with hopelessness. And it, it's really a tragic and a hopeless situation. It begins in a little town of Bethlehem. Again, this is oozing Christmas here. Uh, it begins in Bethlehem. Perfect little family of four, a little Jewish family. You got a father and a mother and a son and a son. That's your perfect Jewish family. And they, they're living in Bethlehem, this family. The mother's name is Naomi. And there was a famine in their land, and they had to make the decision to move from Bethlehem to a place that wasn't impacted by the same famine, so they moved to Moab. Now, the land of Moab and the Moabites who lived there, these are ancient enemies of of the nation of Israel. So if you read back through your Bible history, the Moabites and the Israelites, they were sort of blood-related as cousins, so to speak, uh, but they were antagonistic towards each other. So this perfect little Jewish family is living in Moab, and they raise their boys, and the boys marry two Moabite women. Those were the women who were there. And so now there's the, the two sons have their two wives, and tragedy strikes the family. Naomi's husband dies, and both of her sons die. So now you have this woman who's left with her two daughters-in-law, and this is a hopeless and tragic situation. You have to remember the plight of widows in, in ancient times. I mean, to, even today, this, is, uh, this would be an amazingly tragic and terrible situation. But in, in ancient times, there was no hope for these women. Um, widows were very vulnerable socially and economically. And Naomi becomes sort of the worst kind of widow because she's in the sandwich, she's a sandwich generation widow, if that makes sense. She's not old enough to have you know, children and grandchildren who could take care of her. She's also not young enough. Remember, her boys are grown up and married these women. She's, she's, not, um, she's, she's too old to really be sort of marriage material and sort of start her life over. So her only real good option, her best option, is to return to her homeland, to go back to Bethlehem. And at least there, there's some laws that you know, require people to be somewhat helpful to widows in her condition, but she would still be living in deep poverty and really a hopeless kind of a... She'd just be living as a widow in poverty, just a lot of despair around that. In fact, when Naomi... So she goes back to Bethlehem. When she got back to Bethlehem, uh, people were looking at her and they said, is this, is this Naomi? Because she left here with a husband and two sons and, and there's no husbands or sons here. And in Ruth 1.20, she says, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Her name Naomi means pleasant in Hebrew, and Mara means bitter. She said, Call me Mara. My life is bitter. You know, don't call me Dino. Call me despair. You know. <laughs> don't call me Fernando. Call me failure. It's just this. It's just hopeless and tragic. Um, and when we, you know, when, when anybody faces a tragic or hopeless situation, it's easy to despair. It's easy to feel that your life is bitter, that God has, and she says the Almighty 
has made my life bitter. That God has somehow abandoned us or cursed us or punished us for our sin. Um, and, and you see this throughout Scripture. If you're familiar with the Old Testament book of Job, Job's story, you know, he was, uh, he was his death in his family and he lost things and he was ill. And, and, and his friends go to him and say, yeah, God is cursing you because of your sin. I mean, this, you've clearly done something wrong because look at your condition. And actually what was going on, that was not the case. That God was actually showing Job and showing the world something about himself. In Jesus' day, there was a man born blind and the religious leaders. They said, who, who, who sinned? Was it this man who sinned or was it his parents who sinned that he has this curse of blindness? And Jesus said, that's not what's going on here. Actually, what's happened to this man is, is that God wants to show the world something through him. And by faith, we believe that even if we feel cursed and abandoned by God, that actually God may be doing something better or good, accomplishing his good purposes through that. And it's only through the eyes of faith that we can see that or believe that. And God has a way of doing that, doesn't he? When you're in that broken and hopeless place, that God is actually doing something in and through you for his good purposes. So here we start with just a hopeless situation. And actually, that points us to Christmas, too. We we think about the Christmas story, and we have a world. We have a nation of people who were were in a special covenant relationship with God, but through their own sin and failure and violating this covenant, were just in a very helpless place. And we sing it in the songs. You know, long lay the world in sin and error pining. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel, which mourns in lonely exile here. God's people were in a really bad place. And they were in their native land, and they had their temple, but they were, they were not free. They were living under Roman rule. And it was just, it was, it was not a good situation, and awaiting a Savior to come and truly free them. And even Jesus' arrival looks very hopeless. You've got a family that's poor. They, they don't have a place to stay. Jesus born in very humble, meager conditions. No power or status. You know, right from the get-go, even like rumors of that that's a cursed family, you know, because Mary and Joseph not yet married. And there's all these things that just make it look um, just a bleak situation in a, in a humble start. But, but through faith, we know that God was at work. We know that God was doing something in the midst of that. And, and actually today, you might just need that reminder that in you, if, if you are feeling that or if you have someone who's close to you, someone you love, who's just in one of those really dark, bleak places, to remember that God is indeed at work. And through faith, we can, we can trust that. So part one, we start hopeless. Part two of the story is sacrifice. And this is where Naomi, the, the widow, says to her daughters-in-law, she said, look, I'm a hopeless widow, but you're not. You are young Moabite woman. Go back to your moms. Go home. You can, you know, you, you're very eligible. Perhaps you can find a husband and just start over. Just go and start over. You have prospects. But Ruth was loyal to Naomi. And she said this in verse 16. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, there I will be 
buried. I will die and I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This is just amazing loyalty. Ruth unites herself and and clings to her mother-in-law, Naomi, in, in and really, in essence, takes on Naomi's hopeless condition. By going with Naomi back to Bethlehem, Ruth now becomes the foreigner. Ruth now becomes an immigrant. And the plight of the immigrant is always difficult. But particularly when you become an immigrant into a place where you are a hated culture. And she's, uh, you know, this is a family where the husband died and the two sons, you know, it's a cursed family. So now you're a widow, a cursed widow in, in a foreign land, uh, potentially facing abuse and hatred. And essentially, Ruth says, look, I'm, she, gives her, she gives up her right to, to start over to take on Naomi's condition. She essentially gives her life for Naomi to help her. But again, Ruth says, your God is my God. She believes that this God is at work in the midst of this selfless act. And really that does point us again to Christmas, does it not? Where we celebrate the incarnation that God took on the human condition to, to, to save us. Our pathetic human condition, our hopeless condition. We now have God with us, Emmanuel. You have Ruth leaving her home to to help Naomi. Now we have Jesus leaving his heavenly home to come and to serve us. Ruth essentially becomes poor to help Naomi. Jesus, as scripture says, though he was rich, he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich in every way. We have Ruth who is willingly becoming an outcast, becoming somebody who is despised, somebody who will be rejected. Jesus willingly despised, rejected, ultimately um, put to death on a cross. Ruth, willing to suffer and to be a servant for Naomi. Jesus, the ultimate suffering servant for us, taking our sin upon himself on the cross and giving his life. Again, this is just pointing to Jesus, just oozing Jesus in Christmas to us and and of course, Ruth, one of the mothers of Jesus, becomes part of this lineage. Um, Ruth's attitude of humility in walking with Naomi really does point to Jesus and becomes an example for us. As Scripture says in Philippians 2, you know, our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, you know, in his very nature, God, did not consider his Equality with God, something to use to his own advantage, but he makes himself nothing. He takes, him, takes on the form of a servant, and in hu- his human nature becomes obedient even to death on a cross. That's what Jesus did for us, and that is our uh, example, that our attitude should be the same as Jesus who did that for us. So, we just this just becomes this... The, this notion of, of God so connected to humanity through Jesus. It, it really echoes um, the words of Psalm 139. Um, this is actually Ruth's great-grandson wrote these words, King David. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If 
I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is as light to you. This is this whole, you know, Ruth telling her mother-in-law, where you go, I will go. And, it, and then here, David, in, in this psalm, you know, where I go, God, you're going to be with me. No matter where I think I could flee, or it would just be so, such a dark place that you wouldn't be there. Even in those places, you are there. That God is indeed with us. So I don't know about you, but I could use that reminder today, every day. I mean, every week, we, every day, we could use this reminder that God is indeed with you wherever you go. Whatever darkness you've fallen into, however far you think you've run, that God is with us. So part three of the story is uh, redemption. So Ruth is out, and she's collecting food, as, as widows are allowed to do, gleaning in some of the local fields there. And she goes back to Naomi, and Naomi says, where were you, um, where'd you get this, the food? And she said, well, I was gleaning, I was in the field of a man named Boaz. And Naomi says, well, that's interesting, Boaz, he's part of my husband's family. He's actually one of, he's one of the very few people who are alive who can redeem us. Now, this is how the system, the system worked back then. Uh, there was this kinsman-redeemer system whereby you could buy back your ancestral land. So when the Israelites went into the promised land, all the areas of the land were parceled out by tribe and by family. And your family had a right in perpetuity to that land. So, you know, when they went, when, when um, Naomi's family went to Moab, you know, somebody else may have bought that land or taken that land. And as they return, if there is a, a, a male descendant of that family, they can, if they're related close enough, they can redeem it back, they can buy it back. And whoever has it has to sell it. And so for uh, Ruth and Naomi, they, they connect with Boaz, who's actually a kinsman of their family who can do this for them. And Boaz, he is a Bible good guy. He is just a great man. He protects Ruth, and he assures that, uh, that she will be safe in, in his fields. He's generous to her. Um, he's really following God's law to be generous to immigrants and to, to the poor, as, as they were instructed. And Ruth, in all of her boldness, long story short, goes to Boaz and asks him to redeem her and Naomi and, and their land, but in that, he has to take her as his wife. You don't just get the land, but you get all the people connected to it, which means providing for Ruth, which means marrying her and providing children for her. And so Boaz agrees. He says, yes. And he says, you're a woman of noble character. And so he goes about this process of redeeming the land and marrying Ruth. But there was a problem. And the problem is there was another relative who was closer, a closer relative to Naomi's family. And he had a first right to redeem this property. 
So Boaz and this other relative, they get together, they have a little hearing, there's witnesses, sort of like a, a trial, a jury kind of a thing. And he says, hey, do you want to redeem the land of this family? And his relative said, yeah, I'd like that land. That would be a great asset for, for me. It's a great field. And Boaz said, okay, but you also need, you, you're also taking in uh, Naomi and Ruth, who you need to marry. And he said, uh, no, thank you. Um, I would, he, quote, I might endanger my own estate, meaning if he redeems this land and this woman provides children for this woman, that her children would have a right to the inheritance. He wouldn't get it himself or his children. And it would just sort of mess up his thing. So he looks at this cursed woman and, and says, no, I don't want it. It's like an episode of Shark Tank. I don't know if you're familiar with the show. <laughs> so all the sharks are sitting there. Naomi and Ruth are pitching this idea about the land. The first shark says, hey, I love the field. I love everything that you grow there. Um, but taking that woman's too much. She would cut into my profits of my own sons. I'm out. And the next shark says, yeah, that's a nice field, but I don't do business with Moabites. I'm out. Third shark says, you know, your valuation of the fields does include this woman. She's lovely, but she's cursed. I've been around cursed women before, and for that reason alone, I'm out. And Boaz says, you know what? I see value. I see something beautiful and good here. I'm in. God looks at us, and he doesn't just see the sin and the cursedness and the filthy and the failure and the unholy and the just object of wrath. God looks at us with the eyes of grace and he sees value. He sees something worth redeeming. He sees loveliness. He sees the good works which he's prepared in advance for you to do. And he buys us back, but it's very costly purchase. It's the blood of Jesus. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us. He purchased us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That he was able to buy our lives back from that pit of sin, but he has to take the sin on himself and gives his life on the cross. And this points to Christmas, because Christmas reminds us that God was willing to come all the way from heaven to earth to save us at the cost of his own life. But he did it because he saw value, something worth redeeming. So there you have it. Story ends. Ruth uh, and Boaz are married. They have a baby boy. And the story ends with Naomi holding her grandson in her arms. Remember, the story starts with her husband is dead. Her, son, her two sons are dead. Totally hopeless. You would never imagine the end of the story. She's holding a baby boy named Obed, who had a boy named Jesse, who had a boy named David, the famous king from whom the Messiah would come, the one who would reign forever and ever. So Naomi goes from this hopeless end to now an endless hope because God was at work. And notice this. i just point this out to conclude. There's no miracles here. Nothing miraculous. There's no uh, virgin births. There's no fire from heaven. There's no resurrections. This is just the, the normal stuff of life, common events of life, legal transactions and death and birth. And it's in those common events of life that, and even the tragic events of life, 
that God is at work and unfolding his eternal purposes here. And the good news is we get to go live kind of common, normal life. Maybe you're praying for a miracle. Maybe God will give you that miracle. That'll be wonderful. But it's in, the, it's in all things that God is working for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. That's us. We've been called by, by faith according to his good purposes. And he's unfolding it in the mundane of, of your limited celebration, of your working from home, of the, of the normal stuff of life that God is indeed at work. And by faith, we believe this. And you're going to live here and you're going to be able to live that out. You're going to leave here and you're going to be able to live that out. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good and that you are at work in all things. And we thank you for this reminder that we can trust you. And and Lord, I pray especially for those who are in those dark places right now or who feel any sense of hopelessness or despair, that they would see, Lord, that you are still good and that you are still in control of all things, Lord. May we trust you. Lord, help us to encourage one another. Help us to be faithful to one another, to walk alongside and, and And do this life together, Lord, that you've called us to. Because you've called us to be a family. As we share our faith in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.